In just a moment, we are going to be able to hear a word from the Lord from Nicholas. It's good to have you back with us again. And once again, we are grateful for all saints and their willingness to help us supply the pulpit each week. It has been a blessing to be able to work through Philippians on a regular schedule from their rotation of pulpit supply. And so we are grateful for Nick being able to be with us here this morning. And uh, will you stand together with me for the reading of God's word? This is from Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. Let's pray. Lord God in heaven, we pray that as we look now together in this portion of scripture, that you would open our minds, that we might be able to understand the truth that you have for us. We pray that you would open our hearts, that we would not have rebellion within us, but rather that we would have compliant hearts molded by your grace so that we would receive what you have for us. And that through your spirit and the power of your word working in us, we might be sanctified through the renewing of our minds. We pray, grant Nick the ability to communicate faithfully and clearly what you want communicated, and that we might be able to hear from you now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, Evergreen. It's it's good to see you guys again. It's been too long, and I've just really enjoyed this opportunity that you guys have blessed not only me with, but with Levi and uh, just all the people at All, all Saints, that we are so glad that we get to be a blessing to you guys, but don't think that you're not a blessing to us, that it's not a blessing for us to serve you, to give us the privilege of bringing you God's word. It's an amazing blessing. It's actually what we're here on this earth to do. We're here on this earth. The reason why we're alive today is so that we can proclaim the, the gospel to other people, so that we can live to build one another up. And that's the subject of the text that I have to bring you today. Paul in Philippians 1.21 said that for him to live is Christ and to die is gain. As Christians, I think we all understand what it means to die is gain because we have an understanding of what the gospel is, that Jesus Christ died the death that we deserve to die. That's removed the sting of death. We have nothing to fear. We know that if we were to die today, if we're trusting in Christ alone for our salvation, that means we're going to be in heaven. We won't have to deal with suffering. We won't have to deal with interpersonal conflict. 
We won't have to deal with bad politics or giving our hopes up on good politics or whatever it is. But Paul said in that he ended his, his kind of brief autobiography, catching the Philippians up on what was going on in his life. He ended it, our section last week, was saying though that it's better for him to live. Not for his personal sake, but for the sake of those he's ministering to, to build them up. And what we get to when we get to verse 27 is we get to see that Paul has not been just informing them of his imprisonment, of the things that he's been suffering and going through, that he hasn't just been informing them so that they understand what's going on and can be praying for him. He's been informing them of everything that he's been going through to get to this point right here, to give them a challenge to their faith, to give them a reason why they are alive today. And it would be, you know, it'd be kind of, I feel like, I don't know, um, I feel like I would not be living in the moment, I guess, I don't know how to say it, (laughs) to neglect the fact that what today is. Today is October 31st, 2021, which is 504 years after the Protestant Reformation. And I feel like I would be remiss to skip over that because I think we have an important lesson that ties in to the subject of our sermon, of what it means to live a worthy life. So 504 years ago today, Martin Luther, he uh, was celebrating All Hallows Eve, Sounds kind of like Halloween, a shortened version of that. And what Martin Luther did was he was preparing for All Saints Day, which would be November 1st. So it didn't look like really our celebration today here in America. What he was preparing for was a celebration where people would bring out different really relics, idols, purchasing indulgences, people purchasing their salvation, praying to different saints for their salvation. And Martin Luther on October 31st, 1517, had enough of it, had written up 95 challenges, 95 theses that he was going to challenge the the Roman Catholic Church with, and he nailed them to the church door, posting it for all to see. And his students took that bulletin off the door, distributed it throughout Germany, and eventually led to the Protestant Reformation. When Martin Luther nailed that thesis to the door, he didn't feel like he was doing anything much. He was just standing up for the faith. He was just challenging people's beliefs, beliefs that you can purchase your salvation with money, something that I'm pretty sure the apostles condemned at some point, trying to purchase the Holy Ghost with money. That's all he was doing. He was just being faithful where he was at. But when he did that, it required a lot of courage, a lot of boldness to proclaim the truth. Because it wasn't even 100 years earlier that John Huss was burned alive for doing the same thing. John Huss also preached against the Roman Catholic Church 
1414. He waited trial, and at the end of it, he was burned alive for faithfully proclaiming the gospel. And even though we're on an anniversary day for the Reformation, we could go through lots of different people who have lived worthy lives of the gospel. And there's something about when we look at the lives of men like John Calvin, William Tyndale, Martin Luther, or even before that, Athanasius and Polycarp, Polycarp, people who gave their lives to defending the Christian faith, to proclaiming the gospel. There's something in us that when we look at the lives of these men and women, for that matter, throughout church history, who've given their lives for the sake of the gospel, we see something that inspires us. We see something in their lives that's worthy of the gospel. And the thing that links all those people together that we look to is their boldness. Their boldness to not just live for their own selves and their own comforts and their own pleasures, but their boldness to sacrifice it all. Their boldness to give their lives for the sake of others. Seeing others not believe in lies, but believe in the truth. See that people live lives worthy of the gospel. And the reason why we intuit this when we see the the lives of such people and see like, that's how I want to live. That looks like a life that's worthy, a life that makes a difference. The reason why we see that is because that's actually what God's word calls us to. God's word calls us to boldness in him. Paul here in our text at verse 27 actually switches the focus of what he's been talking about onto the Philippians. And look how he does this. He starts off with the word only. Only this. Paul kind of puts a pause here, and it's the first word in the Greek as it is in the English. And it's meant to be a pause to say only this, just this one thing, just this one command to listen to, that if you do this one thing, then you'll be living the Christian life appropriately. And that one thing is to let your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. The title for this sermon today is Living a Courageous Life in a manner that a courageous life that's worthy of the gospel. Because this command here is the command to be to live your life in a manner that's worthy, and that manner of life that's worthy of the gospel is one that's bold, one that is courageous. That's the manner that we are to live. That's the command. And afterwards, we'll look at how Paul defines courage in our text, the courage that he calls people to. Only this, just this one thing, let your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. When I'm reading this, my, my gut instinct is to look at the focus on worthy. But actually, this phrase is structured around and centered on a different item. It's not the word worthy, but it's the let your manner of life. 
And if you read a bunch of different translations, you'll see that this let your, you know, live, let your manner of life is translated in a variety of different ways. The verb that Paul uses there is a word that's actually closely related to politics. That it could be translated in a way that let your live like a citizen. Live in a way that is tied to your citizenship. And Paul is doing this for a very particular reason. You guys have probably already heard numerous times that Philippi is a colony of Rome. And as a colony of Rome, they had a lot of pride in their identity, in their citizenship. Because unlike the United States, if you were born within the boundaries of the Roman Empire, that did not make you a Roman citizen. Roman citizenship was actually something highly coveted, highly prized, and was out of the reach of most people. That was not true, though, of people born in Philippi. To be born in Philippi because of the Roman emperor Octavius making Philippi a military outpost where there's lots of veteran soldiers living there and active duty soldiers living there, giving it the privilege of being a second Rome, that basically to pick up Philippian soil, to hold that in your hand, because it was a Roman colony, they said that this was like you're holding Roman soil, that this city had the privilege that if you're born there, you are a citizen of Rome. And think about the different privileges that we have for being members of the United States. We have a privilege to the courts. We have privilege, well, our privileges are a little bit different. We have the privilege to pay taxes. In Philippi, being a Roman citizen meant that you actually didn't have to pay a lot of land taxes and property taxes. Go figure. But also you had the privilege of sensing your identity as a Roman. And that's why he's trying to tie his audience here. He's saying, act like a citizen. And that word worthy then modifies it to say that live your life worthy of your citizenship. That's the command here. Live your life in honor of the city to which you belong. And we'll learn in Philippians 3.20 and 21 that the Philippians, they might be citizens of Rome. They have lots of privileges that come along with that and lots of pride that came with that. But the Philippians had something way more important than that. They were citizens of heaven. They had the privileges of the sons of God. And those privileges that they had as citizens of heaven had demands on them, on how they were to live. They were to act in a way that's becoming of belonging to the citizen in heaven, to where our king is. That's the command that Paul is getting at. Live worthy of your heavenly calling. You're a citizen, sure, of the United States, but your citizenship is actually, more importantly, more at the core of who you are, is in heaven. 
You're a heavenly citizen. You're listed in God's army to his service. And before we get away from ourselves, notice one more thing about verse the very beginning of verse 27. That only worthy, the only worthy type of living that we're to do is it's worthy of the gospel of Christ. Maybe this is obvious to you, but I just want to make sure that we see this. Living worthy of the gospel is not the good news of Christianity. Living a life that is worthy, that is honorable, like a Martin Luther changing the world, that's not the good news that we preach to people. The good news that we preach to people is a work that's already been done. It's a work that's already been fulfilled. Our worthy living, Paul's call here to live worthy of this gospel of Christ, we live out of gratitude. Not because we've earned this as we just sung. We are not worthy in and of ourselves to live this type of life. We're not worthy of God's love, but he gave it to us. He gave us salvation, and that is to provoke a response to us. It's to cause us to live differently. As a result of this command, we're supposed to live a life that's an illustration of the gospel of Christ. We're to live lives that are marked by the power of God, the power of the gospel in our lives. It should change the way we live because the power of the gospel transforms people. So what's this transformation look like? What is this transformed living, this living worthy of the gospel, what does it look like in our lives? Well, we just have to continue to read. He says, whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear that you're standing firm in one spirit, one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This living that we are to be doing as citizens of a heavenly kingdom is a living that's to be done striving, standing firm with one mind and spirit among each other. This language here of standing firm, of striving side by side, this is language of military, military language. Standing firm in one spirit. He's talking to the church, right? He's talking to the church and he's telling them that they need to be bold at the next verse, verse 28, that they're not to be frightened by any of their opponents that their living is in a certain context where they have opponent, they have a certain enemy, and it's going to require out of them courage and boldness. Really, we're going to get there by looking at this entirety of this whole passage. But what I want to do for you now is look at what the courage that we're called to looks like. That this manner of living living as citizens of heaven that it's going to require courage is going to be drawn out by the fact of the, the very definition of it throughout the passage. 
But I want to start off by looking at the fact that the courage that God calls us to, this worthy living is not solo living. This is not the description of a guy who's boldly saved, who's going to live out worthy and goes out maybe like the image of a cowboy going out all alone, journeying out, showing how tough he is to fight and survive on his own. No, the picture that Paul immediately paints is one where they are standing firm together. This is the image of like a military unit. And I think of the Spartans, you know, that they have the phalanx formation where they have all their shields uh, in front and above, and they can charge and go forward to, against an enemy army, completely protected from their arrows because everyone's holding up their shield, standing firm as one unit with one spirit, with one mind. See, when the context that Paul's assuming here is the context that he's actually in. Paul has been talking about the fact that he is in prison for no other reason than preaching the gospel faithfully. That's it. And he is now in prison for that reason because the world hates God and is against God. And we have a real enemy in the concept, the danger that we are, that confronts us is a real threat. So they're to stand firm side by side. That's the word, um, soon aflinta, soon aflintes. And if you heard in there, athlete, aflintes, the word that we get athlete out of, he's continuing the military language because just like t- today, if you look at the Olympics, a lot, of the, a lot of the athletic games were originally derived from different military training exercises. Think of the javelin throw and what would be the original use out of that, or the shock putt, or the hammer throw, or wrestling. The Olympic Games originally derived from military training exercises, and he's incorporating that into how they are to live together. And it makes sense of why he's telling them this, that they need to stand firm with one spirit, be of one mind, one soul, that they are to be side by side for the faith of the gospel. It makes sense that this team effort, this teamwork that's necessary, this unity among them that's necessary because of the next verse. And to not be afraid of anyone or any enemy. The courage that's defined in this, this worthy living, is a worthy living that is a courage defined by its unity with one another. Teamwork is a team exercise. But it's also a courage that's defined by a common foe. You know, it didn't really make sense before. Why are they, you know, why is he telling them that they need to be standing firm, ready to fight, using military language side by side, linking arm in arm against them? Well, it's because they have a common enemy. It's because the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. 
This worthy calling is in the context of a fight. That's why courage is necessary. And when he says in verse 28, and not be frightened in anything by your opponents, he uses an interesting word for frightened that's actually not used anywhere else in the New Testament. He doesn't say just fear. He actually picks up on another, what would you know, another military image. That this word is usually used in the ancient context of a horse that's startled, that rears and runs away. If you are being attacked by an opponent and you're startled, think about what persecution does to us. Persecution tends to cause us to scatter. Persecution is something that divides us. And it's when we're divided, when we're scattered, that's when we're most vulnerable. See, if we're going to be victorious in this war that God has commissioned us in, if we're going to fight as worthy citizens, soldiers of God, it requires a unity. And persecution threatens to break up that unity. It's in that context. We're told not to fear Why, though? We're not to fear because it's a sign of their destruction and our salvation. And this, both of these things, from God. What is Paul talking about? He's painting this image of going out to war, living a life worthy, bold, confident, strong, playing the part of a man. Going against the army, making sure that you're, you're standing side by side, that your ranks don't break, that no one gets afraid and runs away. And he says that this persecution is a sign to them, the fact that they're persecuting you is a sign to the persecutors of their destruction. What does that even mean? Isn't the fact that you're able to persecute other people, isn't that a sign of your strength, of your ability? The fact that you have power means that I can inflict damage on you? But what does Romans 1 say? Something that's clear to all humanity, something that's revealed about God, is God's wrath against ungodliness. That God will one day punish all the ungodly, every wicked deed will be reckoned with that there is a day of judgment coming against all wickedness. This is something that's actually self-evident to all humanity. Every time that you see something, someone do a sin in this world, and it strikes you in your heart that that is wrong, that's God's inbuilt sense in you. The fact that God will one day punish Every wicked action, that's a sign to them. But how is their persecution then a sign of our salvation? Turn with me to uh, John chapter 15. John chapter 15, starting at verse 12. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. He's warning them of what's going to happen when he leaves. 
In John chapter 15, starting at verse 12, it sounds kind of similar to our passage. Jumping in the middle here, Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. I have called you friends, for all that you have heard from my father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask in my Father's name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you'll love one another. Look how he proceeds. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it, before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would have loved you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. Didn't Jesus already tell his disciples on the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you? For that's exactly what they did to the prophets who were before you. The fact that the world is against the gospel, the fact that someone would put you in prison for no other reason than the fact that you proclaim the gospel, that should be a sign to you that if they were against our Lord, then of course they'll be against me. Isn't it interesting that a sign to us, if we're experiencing persecution, a sign to us that you know, that we're suffering and we're feeling miserable is the very thing that shows us and reveals to us that God is with us. That God, if they persecuted Jesus, of course they would persecute us. Then Paul continues. And he describes why they're suffering. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Remember what we just read. Here there are two gifts described, and it's kind of, it's a, t- a bitter sw- pill to swallow, isn't it? That he says, Christ has given to you two things. Not only to believe in his name, but also to suffer for him. Isn't that what we just read in John chapter 15? He said, you did not choose me. I chose you. I chose you out of the world. I brought you out of darkness into light. I saved you. I rescued you. 
And necessarily tied to that, the fact that we are believing in Christ is the very thing that connects us with suffering. Now, before we get away from ourselves, the courage that we're called to have, the courage of a Martin Luther, the boldness to proclaim the gospel, that boldness and that courage is not to just endure any type of suffering, at least not in this text. And this text is particularly dealing with the suffering that's brought on us by persecution. The fact that what we're told here is that if we believe in Christ, it's been given to us to believe in Christ, and it's also been given to us to suffer. The reason for that is, if we read John chapter 15, is we see that these things are a package deal. If we follow our Savior who was martyred on a cross, on a cross, maybe we will also experience something like that. Maybe we'll also have persecution. It's a package deal. But if we, if this persecution that we're suffering is not just any old suffering, it's not just the one that's common to man, it's not the suffering from cancer or the suffering from conflict that's caused by sin and dealing, living with sinners, the, the su- type of suffering that's promised as a gift here is the, prom- is the suffering that's related to following Jesus and the per- persecution that that's going to bring on us. And Paul, lastly, talks about the courage. is a courage uh, that is demonstrated by Paul's very own example. He says that they're engaged in the same struggle or the same conflict as you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul's reminding them that the courage that he's calling them to, living a life worthy of the gospel, is not some ethereal concept. It's not just an idea but it's something that he has went through personally before their very eyes. If you remember Acts chapter 16, what happened to Paul when he was in Philippi, you would see that he experienced just this. People attacking him for no other reason than for the fact that he was telling people the truth and that he was bold to proclaim it to everyone in that city. This call to live a life worthy of the gospel is something that he actually does in other places. In particular, I think when he talks about, in reference to Thessalonians, listen to what he says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 4. For you yourselves know, brothers, of our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, We had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. And he continues in 2 Thessalonians to say, I'll just turn there, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2.
when he says, but we ought, starting in verse 13 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by God, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth. To this, he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either spoken by word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and deed. This message that he gave to people to stand firm was something that they witnessed and happened at Philippi, something that they saw in their lives. So this manner of life, this manner of worthy living worthy of the gospel is defined by courage. And this courage is seen in the fact that they are to stand firm, united to one another. This is not the courage that goes out by yourself to suffer. That's stupidity. That's asking for a, a death wish. It's not the type of uh, courage that doesn't deal with conflict, but it's, it's necessary because there is conflict in this world because we do have an enemy. It's courage that's based on God's promises. We see signs. We're not, it's not a, based on a lack of knowledge that we are courageously living worthy lives of the gospel. But we're called to live worthy lives of the gospel, to be Martin Luther's of this world, and John Calvin's, and Zwingli's, and Tyndale's, because it's based on knowledge. We know that, you know, it might be bad to be persecuted. It might be bad to suffer. But we take pity on our persecutors because we know that God's wrath still abides on them. That they have, they have not received their destruction yet, but they will. While we have already received our salvation. We see that courage is also defined by the fact that it's from God. It's a gift from God that we're encouraged when we suffer to have courage because we know that just as God gave us faith, so he too, he's given us suffering, suffering because we are united to Christ, suffering because we identify with him. It's not that suffering is good in and of itself or that persecution is good in and of itself. But it's a fact of this world that if God, if the world hated Jesus, then so too it will hate us. And lastly, it's something that they have an example of in Paul himself. Courage defined by something that they've seen with their own eyes and are now hearing about since he's writing to them from prison. And he's calling them to this. You know, when I, when I first read this and I was looking at the boldness that Paul is calling his audience to, boldness to proclaim the gospel 
and to suffer whatever the consequences it'll bring upon you? My mind actually went to a negative example of this. Uh, back in 2005, Joel Osteen was on Larry King, uh, in a Larry King interview show. And I was listening to uh, Stephen Lawson at a Shepherds Conference back in 2013 talk about this interview. And, you know, he was being interviewed for a book about uh, how to live your best life now, which if that's the title of your book, you probably know how the interview is going to go. Listen to how this interview went. King said, we've had ministers on that says your record doesn't count. You either believe in Christ or you don't. If you believe in Christ, you are, you are going to heaven. And if you don't, no matter what you've done in this life, you ain't. Osteen. Yeah, I don't know. There's probably a balance between, I mean, you, I believe you have to know Christ, but I think that if you know Christ and you're a believer in God, you're going to have some good works. King, what if you're Jewish or most Muslim? You don't accept Christ at all. Osteen, you know, I'm very careful about saying who would and who wouldn't go to heaven. I don't know. King, if you believe, if you believe you have to believe in Christ, they're wrong, aren't they? Osteen, well, I don't know if I believe they're wrong. I believe here's what the Bible teaches, and from the Christian faith, this is what I believe. But I just think that only God with a, uh, only God will judge a person's heart. I, I spent a lot of time in India with my father. I don't know all about their religion, but I know they love God. And I don't know, I, I've seen their sincerity, so I don't know. just reading what he said. A caller called in and said, why are you sidestepping Larry's earlier question about uh, we, how do we get to heaven? The Bible clearly tells us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light, and that the only way to the Father is through him. That's not really a message of condemnation, but of truth. Osteen said, yes, I would agree with her. I believe that. King said, so then a Jew is not going to heaven? Larry King was a Jewish man. That's why he's asking this question. He's, he's prodding at him. Osteen. No, here's the thing, Larry, is I can't judge somebody's heart. You know, only God can look at someone's heart. So I don't know. We need men who know the truth and who will declare the truth, who will stand from wherever they are at and teach it to everyone they know. And this is not just true of pastors and teachers. We need boldness, not just from the pulpits, but we need it actually everywhere. If you have the name of Christ, you are a citizen of heaven. 
You belong to him. He purchased your life. If you want to live a life that's worthy of the gospel, that he bled for you, then you live boldly to share it for others. You live boldly to proclaim the only good news that can actually rescue sinners. And your boldness does not make you worthy. Your boldness, you know, we none of us can actually be worthy enough of the good news that Christ is what he's done for us. But what Christ has done to save sinners, that is worthy. That demands our all. That demands a certain level of boldness out of us. Just gets me just to think a pastor saying, I don't know. We need to know the truth. <laughs> let's, let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that your word gives us such a clear and simple command to let our, worthy, our, let our manner of life be lived worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to preach the truth, to declare the truth, to be bold and willing to suffer for the truth, that we would do it knowing that we have opposition, knowing that suffering will come our way. Though we do not know the degree, though we do not know the circumstances, when we, though we don't know when it will happen or what it will look like, we know, Lord, that if the world hated your son, it will surely hate us. Help us, Lord, to have the courage to live such a life. Lord, if we are young, I pray that we would spend the rest of our, li our lives living such a way. For we all want to live a life that's worthy of you, something a life of significance. And Lord, if we haven't lived this way, Lord, help us remember the fact that we are sinners. That we are, that whatever our life has looked like in the past, whatever, uh, Lord, that whatever sins we have done and feel like we have failed to live our lives for you, not making a difference in this world, not living with an understanding that you are valuable and your gospel is worth proclaiming. Lord, help us to recognize that today is not some op opportunity for us to undo the path. We cannot. That now is not the time to dwell on our past failures. Today's the day to trust in God's promises. That he will work out all things for his glory and our good. That today we have the opportunity to live in the power of the Spirit to watch him transform our lives and live the rest of our lives in the power of the gospel, proclaiming the power of the gospel, showing people that it makes a difference and that it is valuable and that it's worth spending our lives dedicated to. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.